Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the third chapter of Ephesians, beginning at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. As your spirit inspired the writing of these words, O God, we ask that our hearing of them would be inspired as well, that we might be transformed closer into the image of Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. I'm continuing in a series of homilies from this epistle to the Ephesians. Let's do a quick review. In chapter one, Paul introduced us to the concept of living in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. Not a little bit of grace. We need more than a boost. Grace that has been lavished upon us. Also in the first chapter he said, in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. In giving us the Son and the Spirit, God has given us all that heaven has to give. God has given us God. In chapter two he says, that even though we were dead in our trespasses, in Christ we have been risen to a new life, and we are now what by grace he has made us. He goes on in chapter two to talk about how the church finds its life only in Christ, who bears the load of the church so that it has no dividing walls. So there is no us and them, there is no stranger, there's only us brought together in Christ to be the dwelling place of God. And now in the third chapter, the apostle starts to pray for this church. And he prays that we might know the power of this life in Christ, that it means being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded, so that we are not tossed about by the winds of adversity, not even the storms that tear apart our own hearts, 
We're rooted. And from these roots, we draw nurture to be fully alive in Christ. But it is significant that the apostle says we're rooted and grounded not in what we know. We are rooted and grounded in love. There's a big difference in what we know and what we or who we love. In verse 19, he kind of concludes the prayer part of this text by saying that he prays that we'll, we'll know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, well, now it's time to slow down. Let's just stay with this one. What does it mean to know a love that surpasses knowledge? Because we are a theological school of the church, we expect you to know a lot about God. That's why we plunge you into studies and biblical exegesis in Greek and in Hebrew and in systematic reformed or constructive theology, theological ethics, the history of the church, the life and the work of the church around the world, practical theological insights and skills. And we set the bar very high for what we expect you to know about God through all of these disciplines. But the faculty is perfectly clear that we have not fulfilled the mission of the church if you graduate just with a lot of knowledge about God. The mission of the seminary is for you to be trained as, as future pastors and scholars and leaders in various forms of ministry for Jesus Christ. But do you really think you can participate in Christ's mission in the world just by knowing about God? Absolutely not. As C.S. Lewis reminds us, the devil knows a lot more about God than all of us. If you're going to participate in God's mission of bringing heaven and earth back together again, you've got to be rooted and grounded in the love of God in Christ. You've got to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Let me try to illustrate this. I'm not sure this is going to work, but it's a school and we're supposed to take risk. <laughs> Let's say that following worship today, we all go out to the quad. We gather in a circle and we watch our beloved minister of the chapel, Jan Ammon, ascend out of our sight into the heavens and we see her no more. It changed change our lives. We tell everybody about this incredible thing that happened, and most people wouldn't believe us. But we know what we saw. So we'd get together with the other believers, and we'd talk about what we saw. We'd gather at least once a week, I'm thinking maybe Sunday mornings would be a good time. <laughs> we'd tell the stories about the beloved Jan Ammon. And we, we get so changed by this that other people actually would come and, and want to hear the stories with us, and a, a movement would get started. I suppose we'd call the movement the Ammonites. Yeah. 
As the movement grew and as the generations passed, we discovered that it was, it was important to write down some of these stories for the next generations and to, to make sure we got the stories straight so that they were written down. But in time, other people who were not eyewitnesses of Jan Ammon, they began to write stories too that didn't, didn't actually help build up this movement, so we called them apocryphal stories. And the leaders of the movement developed a canon of the authorized stories of Jan Emmons' life and her beliefs. And as the centuries passed, some schools would start to rise up where you could go and spend years of your life studying the stories and the theology and the beliefs of Jan Ammon. You would become a specialist in the Ammonite studies, and you would go to conferences and read papers and debate your papers with others. And after 2,000 years of that, you could know a lot about the tradition of Jan Ammon, but could you say that you knew her? Of course not. For that, you would have to have had a relationship with her. You would have to know her with a love that surpasses knowledge about her. Now, to answer the question that you're all asking, yes, I did get Jan's permission to use this <laughs> analogy. And she was a little queasy being an analogy to the ascended Christ. <laughs> but Jan's a preacher, and she knows how hard it is to find illustrations for Paul's theology. Again, your professors know that it will not take care of your thirsty soul just for them to test how much you know about God. But they cannot make you know God. All they can do is to call you to a journey deep into our biblical theological tradition and to press its relevance to the questions of today, knowing that along the way in this journey, the Holy Spirit is waiting to invite you to cross over from knowing about to knowing. Also, keep in mind that the apostle did not write the epistle to the Ephesian, but to the Ephesians. This is not written to an individual, but to a community of faith that had become a dwelling place of God because they gathered in Christ. We are also a community of faith because we too gather together in Christ, which means we too become the dwelling place of God because Christ has promised to be present because we gather in his name. And we gather as a diverse community of faith and scholarship, which means there are people around you who are not like you, whose story is not your story, and who have a substantively different theology than you, even though they love the same Jesus Christ that you do. And we strive for this kind of diversity, not to be politically correct, but to receive 
the gifts that the Holy Spirit is trying to give us and to be rooted and grounded in love for these gifts. For as Christ has made clear, you cannot say that you love God without loving your neighbor. You can't even know God without loving your neighbor. And to be clear, we're not talking about the metaphorical neighbor who's just like out there somewhere, whose name and story we don't know. We love the neighbor, love the people around you. No, we're talking about the real neighbor. It's a lot easier to love a metaphor than it is to love the person in your precept or their seminar or your dorm or in the pews with you today. But as we authentically reach out as flawed people to receive the flawed gifts the Spirit is giving us. As we enter into covenant with them, as God has made covenants with us, we get to know not only this other person, but we know Christ better and more of Christ because we find more of Christ in this other person. And when that happens in a community, when it is authentically in Christ, rooted and grounded in love, finding a knowledge uh, that is of love that just surpasses all other knowledge, then that community is transformed into a church, a, a movement that, that can make a world of difference, more than we could strategically plan, more than we could even hope for, can happen as we follow in Christ who leads the community out to this world that is dying to know such a love. More can happen than we can imagine. Or as Paul concludes, now unto him who by the power at work in us is able to do abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.